Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Consider This. Please let me know what you think and tell others about us on social media. This podcast was originally broadcast live on Northumberland 89.7 FM. You can hear this show live every Friday at noon. Thank you for downloading this program, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, I'm Robert Washburn, and welcome to Consider This Northumberland, a current affairs program dedicated to the issues facing our community. We talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So I'm asking you, the listener, to take some time out of your busy day to consider this. The electricity bill. Yeah, the one that arrives on a regular basis. Most of us just pay it. For some, it may not be easy to understand all those line items and what they mean. For others, like seniors on fixed incomes or people on low incomes, it can be a challenge just to pay it. This show is about that electricity bill. You see, Lakefront Utilities, the people who bring electricity to your home or business, just spent the last year applying for an increase in rates. That's right. They wanted to put up the rates for homeowners about 7 or 8%. The good news is, that didn't happen. Lakefront also wanted to do a lot of other things related to electricity rates, but we'll get to that in the interviews. It is rather a complicated process to raise rates. Lakefront utilities can't just hike rates anytime they want to by any amount. Every five years, they have to go before a body called the Ontario Energy Board. It reviews Lakefront's proposals. So Lakefront prepares a five-year plan and justifies the rates it charges to all 10,000 of its customers in Coburg and Colborne. The Energy Board also holds hearings. People and lobby groups can come and argue over Lakefront's proposals. One of the reasons Lakefront didn't get the hike is due to a group of citizens. A team from the Coburg Taxpayers Association went to the hearings. So did Northumberland Hills Hospital. You will hear about what happened. First, you will hear from Adam Giddings. He represents Lakefront Utilities. He's going to explain the proposal and the impact of the final decision by the Ontario Energy Board. Then, you will hear from the team from the Coburg Taxpayers Association. They will tell you how they took on Lakefront. Not only will you hear the story behind the fight over the rate hike, you will hear some pretty interesting stuff that may help you better understand that electricity bill and why you pay what you do. Bits of this get pretty technical, but if you are patient, you will hear the players explain all of this in terms you can understand. So hang on. Let's make sense of that electricity bill. Here is Adam Giddings from Lakefront Utilities. I'm so pleased to have with me today Adam Giddings, Director of Regulatory Finance at Lakefront Utilities. Welcome to Consider This. Thank you. When the news of the Ontario Energy Board decision arrived, what was the reaction at Lakefront Utilities? Um, The reaction at Lakefront, I think we were quite pleased with the end result of the final decision and rate order. Um, We received, you know, 100% approval um, of our operating costs and our capital costs for 2022 and going forward. Um, I think overall we were, you know, very pleased with our application, um, you know, our ability as a utility to, um, you know, control our costs um, going forward. I think that was recognized by the Ontario Energy Board staff and interveners 
Um, so overall, we were very happy with, with the end result. You proposed a, a rate increase of nearly 7% and you ended up getting around 4%. Uh, first, can you explain what that means for the average household? Um, well, I mean, a few different things going into the rate increase, essentially, um, you know, as you as you know, and many, probably many listeners know that um, there's a lot of pass through costs that go through their utility bills, so a lot of charges from Hydro One and IESO. Um, so there's some increases, um, increases in, in incorporated in that total total bill impact, um, you know, the final, the final bill impact or the final increase. Um, I believe was about 4.76% um, was the final decision in rate order. I think for you know an average residential customer that consumes 750 kilowatt hours in a month, um, that increase will be $5.33 per month. Um, again, you know there's a lot of different charges going through there. Um, the actual distribution charge, the portion that's related to lakefronts um, operating and capital costs. That increase was ended up being about seventy three cents per month of the total of total of the five thirty three. In, in getting that reduced rate instead of seven percent, getting around four or five percent, what impact does that have on Lakefront's budget? Well, there's, there's really no impact on our budget. Um, you know, when you apply through this cost of service process, you get into a lot of changes through cost allocation and through the rate design. And so when we apply for the 7% and then you, you know, you go through the process and you end up with a final decision and rate order, um, there's, there's changes to cost allocation and rate design. Um, and how it gets allocated between the different customer classes. We have seven different customer classes, for example. So um, how it gets alloc allocated between the residential, cat, residential class and the you know, small commercial customer or the larger industrial customers. So there were some changes through that cost allocation and through that rate design, which changed that, you know, I think percentage from about 7% to 4%. That was mainly the result. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't affect our budget. Um, what we work with is the total revenue requirement. So when we filed our application in April, um, we filed the total revenue requirement of um, five million two hundred and twenty-seven. Sorry, five million two hundred and twenty-two thousand four hundred and forty-one dollars. The final outcome in the decision and rate order was a total revenue requirement of five million two hundred and forty-three thousand six hundred and eighty dollars. So ultimately, we ended up with an increase of about twenty-one thousand dollars. So that in the end was was the impact to our budget was essentially an increase of $21,000 per year. Okay, I, I really appreciate your expertise and, and very, very much, but you use a lot of terminology in there that I'm sure listeners are listening to and probably don't have a clue what you're talking about. So let's just break this down a little more simply. So if I understood you correctly, you're saying that there was a minimal impact on the final budget of, what did you say, $27,000? What was that again? Just $21,000. $21,000. 21, All right. So that seems rather miraculous because most of the times when we think about, you know, you were going to get this amount and then you only got that amount, that there might be a really large gap. So how, how in simple terms, how did it work out that it wasn't so impactful? Can you explain it in more simple terms that maybe somebody looking at their bill is going to understand? I think I think you're looking at one component, which is the residential customer class. So that went from let's say seven percent to four percent, but there's changes, I guess, in other the other customer classes. So, for example, the larger industrial customers might have went 
from 4% to 7%. So it sort of changed throughout the process. So at the end of the day, as opposed to, and I think the numbers I was looking at in terms of the total revenue was not necessarily per customer class because there's changes throughout those allocations between the customer classes. So as opposed to maybe trying to simplify the process in a sense or simplify the explanation was to look at, here's what our total revenue requirement is because that's gonna impact all of our, all 10,000 customers, regardless of your customer class. So it's easier to say, okay, well, we filed for about $5.2 million of a revenue requirement. And it's, it's in a sense, sort of like an easier, an easier way of looking at it. I think, it, I think when you get into specific customer classes, it sort of, it, it in a sense, sort of um, complicates the process or comp complicates the explanation. Absolutely. And, and I appreciate that. So as a householder, then we got a bit of a break, but if you were a small business person or maybe an industrial client, you might not have got a break. You might've actually seen Correct. an increase. So that's yes. how that balanced out. And that's why it didn't have such a big impact on your budget. In, in previous interviews, uh, Derek Paul, the CEO at Lakefront, he made it clear that Lakefront needs to do quite a bit of work on its infrastructure, transformers, substations, and the like. Has the energy board's decision had an impact on those costs and will Lakefront still be able to address these upgrades that it wants to make? Um, no, the, the ultimate uh, decision order and decision and rate order didn't impact um, those capital costs going forward. Um, we increased our capital spending by about 200,000 per year. Um, so I think, as I mentioned, we didn't, uh, we didn't have to reduce any of our capital spending going forward. So we'll definitely be able to continue with those, those capital um, infrastructure upgrades. What is the plan then looking forward over the next couple of years for these important uh, capital costs? Uh, because I mean, as a, as a customer in a household, you know, you still see brownouts and similar issues. So as a householder, as an average individual, what can I expect to see happening over the next couple of years with this capital budget that you've just been granted? Yeah, we've definitely been working uh, more in the future, um, some additional work on our substations. Um, you know, they're definitely aging substations that, you know, result in, in impact on some of our outages. We experienced that um, last July when we had two major outages resulting, um, mainly resulting from our substations. Um, so going forward, we're going to be doing some work and in those areas, um, trying to build some redundancies so that, you know, future outages were able to um, reduce that outage time by switching customers uh, between the substations. Um, so that's sort of, uh, you know, one of the main focus. I think there's, you know, many different projects we're going to be focusing on over the next five years. So let's get into that a little bit more, because, I mean, those are the kinds of things that people really notice uh, outside of their bills. So. Can we, can we just talk a little bit more? So you talked about substations. What other projects do you have lined up and what are the timelines? Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, I, I think going forward, um, we started a bit of it this year. I think we're doing um, all of Elgin Street, starting from Elgin and Darcy all the way into New Amherst. So we're completely um, doing an overhead rebuild in that area. Um, which will hopefully improve some of the services. What does an overhead rebuild mean? Like just so replacement of the poles and replacement. Uh -huh. of, so yeah, so replacement of the poles. Um, I think that's probably one of the major projects. Um, we're doing some additional work um, out in Colburn um, to improve some of the infrastructure there on a few of the um, a few of the areas in Colburn. Um, so those are a couple of the projects I think for for next year. What about longer term in the third, fourth, and fifth year of the of the proposal? 
Um, again, I, I think that's where we're getting into some of our substation work in terms of what we're planning for the next um, or for past 2022, essentially. Um, we're looking at some of those areas and, as I mentioned, uh, improving some of our substations. Okay. With the concern about climate change and sustainability continuing to make headlines, many businesses and homeowners are looking to our alternative energy sources. And one of the aspects of the decision addressed something called standby rates. Now, this might be to, you know, we're talking about people installing maybe solar panels on the roof or similar green alternatives. Can you explain Lakefront's original proposal to deal with these changes? Um, yeah, so we had applied um, during the cost of service process for a standby charge, which isn't entirely unique to the industry. Um, I think there's about 16 or seven different LDCs right now in the province that have a standby charge. Um, we had proposed, obviously, for the standby charge to be applied to customers that um, have or, I guess, planning to install load displacement generation, um, for example, a combined heat and power project. Um, essentially, the purpose of the standby charge is to recover the costs that um, that are directly um, attributable to the to us as a utility for providing that standby service to the relevant customer. Um, essentially, that customer is paying for that capacity to be held in reserve. Um, so, so what we're talking about, just so just so that we're clear. So, if I was going to put solar panels on my my roof, for example. And that would give me some power, but you know, maybe I have a bad day or I, I need power. What you're talking about is I would be able to push a button or flip a switch and suddenly I would be able to get power to my house. And be, that's what, what you mean by standing by. And so yes. then, then uh, you want to have a, a sort of a retainer charge there where, you know, you're, you're wait, I'm waiting to use it, but I can't just use it whenever I want to willy nilly. Right. Yeah, and essentially the purpose behind that is, and yes, that's correct. Essentially, we're we're providing that power on standby, and we're we're required to build our infrastructure um, to meet your total um, electricity needs, not necessarily what you're using on a net basis. So, if a customer is installing a combined heat and power project that they're expecting to reduce their demand, um, we're still going to we're still going to build our infrastructure to accommodate that peak demand. And we're essentially, we're on standby to meet that peak demand requirement. And so we had applied um, during the cost of service process for that standby charge. Um, the other rationale for it is that um, customers with the um, distributed generation projects um, have a reduction in their load and that load ultimately um, or that load ultimately impacts um, future rates and future cost allocation. So in a sense, other customer classes, you know, for example, residential or low income residential customers ultimately will bear the burden of um, that, re that load reduction and could experience future rate increases. So that was the other purpose of us um, trying to apply for this standby charge. Um, we did a lot of customer engagement um, before we submitted our application. Um, I think 67% of our customers surveyed either agreed or strongly agreed with the proposed standby charge. Um, we met with some groups who represent low-income customers. I think they were disappointed to learn that, you know, there's the potential in the future for them to um, subsidize uh, the customers that are installing these low displacement projects. There's a lot in there, and I'd like to kind of pick it out a little bit and, and sort of dig in a bit deeper because I think this is really important. So from a, a climate change point of view, an environmentally green point of view, 
um, it, it seems kind of punitive because you would want to encourage people to find alternative energy sources. And yet at the same time, I'm going to end up sort of paying twice because now I have to pay my standby charge uh, and, and also pay for my, my solar panels or whatever it is that I'm doing that's, that's greening. Am I, am I understanding that correctly? And, and how do you sort of square that circle? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess maybe maybe I don't look at it so much as being punitive. I, I think for customers, especially the larger industrial customers who are installing or who are implementing load displacement generation, the majority of their savings are coming from cost of power and from global adjustment. Our portion of their bill or the, the demand portion of their bill is is relatively small. So I, I don't really see a standby charge necessarily affecting their desire to um, install these uh, load displacement projects. I think in terms of the solar panels on the residential customers doesn't really necessarily impact us entirely because it's behind the meter and the distribution revenue we're getting from a customer, from a residential customer is a fully fixed charge. So um, I don't think the solar panels or residential customers installing the solar panels is a significant concern to us. I think it's mainly the larger industrial customers who are considering or, or have installed, um, you know, a large uh, or a um, distributed generation project. Again, going back to the sort of the green philosophy, I mean, we should be encouraging these large industrial customers to do this kind of stuff because it's good for the environment. And yet at the same time, it sounds a little bit like it, uh, maybe punitive is a strong word, but um, it, it's not encouraging that kind, kind of behavior. How, how do we balance those two needs then? Your need and the need to be greener in business. Yeah, I think it's a fine line in a sense, because I, I think, you know, you want to encourage the uh, distributed generation projects in a sense that um, the impact on climate change, but at the same time, it, it shouldn't be punitive, punitive to the other customer classes. So it shouldn't be on the backs of the residential customers, for example. Um, so, I, you know, and as I mentioned, it's, I, I think, you know, customers installing these projects, they're still going to get significant savings from cost of power and global adjustment. So I think it's still worthwhile for them to go ahead with these projects. Um, again, I, I think the standby charge is, you know, we did some of our analysis. It's relatively small to, to the total savings. And what was the final outcome in the board's decision? And what did you end up with? What did they uh, uh, allow uh, we did not We did not receive approval for the standby charge, unfortunately. So uh, now you have to wait five years to, to get a shot at it again? Um, yes, and uh, yes, um, you know, the Ontario Energy Board, though, they do have a consultation um, to determine a standby charge for all LDCs to be able to apply um, to, to their customers that install these low displacement projects. Um, it's been a bit slow going, I guess. I think it's been outstanding since about 2015, I believe, off the top of my head. Um, so, Ideally, they would complete that consultation and um, we wouldn't have to wait for five years to apply again. How do you keep everything balanced so that not one group of people are going to get hit harder than another group of people? Um, so one of the reasons I'd mentioned, yeah, for applying for the standby charge was the potential on future load forecast. So, um, you know, every time we file a cost of service, you end up going through a load forecast. So you're projecting out what you think um, each customer class is going to be um, utilizing for their load going forward. And so, um, you know, you're looking at the past 10 historical years for each of the customer classes. And so any, you know, 
distributed generation projects that have been implemented between now and the next five years would ultimately result in a reduction in our load. And essentially then that reduction in load would get factored into the next cost of service and would get allocated amongst the various customer classes. I think that was one of our reasons for applying for the standby charge is that you sort of get into, in the absence of a standby charge, you get into cross subsidization. So you're going to get into, you know, residential customers, for example, are going to be, you know, subsidizing these larger customers that have installed load, displace, load displacement generation projects and have reduced their load. It was an effort to recover some money from householders related to a, a variance in the rate you charge customers between 2017 and 2021. Now, it was less than it should be, and Lakefront proposed to place an additional charge to make up for the difference. Can you explain what happened and what the decision from the Energy Board means to everybody's bill? Um, <clears throat> so one of the pass-through rates uh, charged by Lakefront to its customers is a low voltage rate. So um, just, so just in, sorry, I, I just want to get that in English. So what is a pass-through rate and, and what are we talking about there? And, and how, where would I understand that from a householder standpoint? So pass-through rate is a rate that's charged or determined by Hydro One or the ISO. Um, so it's not determined by Lakefront. Um, it's a rate that's, um, or sorry, it's not a rate that impact Lakefront's revenue. Um, this is a rate that essentially um, we're ch charging to customers, but we end up um, refunding that to either Hydro so One or So Ontario Hydro generates the energy, they send it down the pipe and it goes through you guys to, because you distribute it, you send it out to us. So that's, that's that pass through. So whatever they're charging you, you mm -hmm. charge us. And then because you're the distributor, you have some charges as well. Correct. Okay, good. So go ahead. Yes, yes. Okay, so one of them is a low voltage charge. So it's um, low for low voltage services provided by Hydro One. Um, so as I said, it's not it's not a charge related to Lakefront's cost. Um, so Lakefront's billed for low voltage charges by Hydro One, and then we collect amount charged um, from its customers, um, as I said, on a pass-through basis. Um, so in the normal course um, of the cost of service application, we would go through and we would estimate the appropriate low voltage rate using um, historical, amount, historical amounts charged by Hydro One. Um, and then, you know, it, to the extent if there's a difference between the charge to customers and the amount actually billed to Lakefront, um, the, OB, the OEB allows Lakefront to track the difference and we'll collect or refund the difference um, in the next application essentially. Um, so in this situation, um, we had an understated estimate of low voltage charges when setting it back in 2017. Um, so the difference um, in the amount charged to customers by Lakefront and the amount billed to Lakefront by Hydro One was unusually high. Um, so in other words, essentially Lakefront um, has been collecting much less low voltage charges from the customers um, than the amount that we've actually been paying Hydro One. Um, so, uh, you know, it's so it, during this cost of service proceeding, the OEB, the OEB approved the proposal, including the recovery of the outstanding variance by Lakefront from its customers. Um, we agreed um, on amortizing that collection essentially over a five-year period so that we could reduce the impact to the customers. Um, overall, I think the monthly impact is uh, 90 cents to a residential customer. If I'm understanding this correctly, you estimate then how much that amount you're going to pay for, uh, from Hydro. You underestimated it during this period, 
And now you have to charge us back a little bit extra to make up that amount. Correct. Am I understanding that? Yes. No, perfectly. Yes. Yeah. So uh, that being the case, then uh, I understand from reading the decision, though, you had actually wanted us to pay a little bit more plus the interest that you lost on that amount. But you, you we don't have to pay the interest. We're just going to pay the actual difference. And, and as you say, it's going to be like about 90 cents uh, on your bill. Correct. Yes, yes. Okay. Okay. Cool. One of the proposals from Lakefront was to go to a paperless billing system and then charge a fee for those who stayed with the mail and paper-based bills. This was not accepted, uh, however, by the Energy Board. What impact does this have on Lakefront? Um, there's actually really no impact to Lakefront per se. Um, in a sense, you know, the cost of preparing paper bills is reflected in the customer rates. Um, so there's really no impact to us whether I think a customer is going through um, or using the paperless system or not necessarily, right? I think our proposal was to allow for, you know, essentially a user pay system. So that is customers requesting a paper bill would, would pay for that service. Um, you know, we have various options so that customers can view their, view their bill online through our customer portal, Silverblaze. Um, we also have an app um, that's available. So again, customers can view their, app, view their um, bill through an app. Um, I know, uh, I think one of the comments was the impact to low income users in our application, um, in this cost of service application and for the $2 fee, we had proposed to waive that $2 fee for low income customers. So they could request a paper bill um, and we would not charge them the $2 fee. Um, again, that was feedback we got um, you know, when we did our customer engagement and we consulted with the um, groups representing the low-income customers. And so we had proposed to waive that fee so that it wouldn't impact them. Um, in a sense too, you know, the $2 fee isn't, or we found it, I think, similar to some of the other fees that we charge, for example, an account setup fee or a disconnection fee, you know, essentially those costs um, or essentially the cost of providing those services are paid for by the customers that are actually needing those services. So we sort of felt the $2 fee was something similar. If a customer is requiring a paper bill, then, then they, they would um, end up ultimately paying for that service. But the board said you couldn't do that though. No, no, they, they didn't approve it. Um, you know, we, I, I think, you know, we had a previous conversation about climate change related to the standby charge. We, we looked at the impact on the environment of printing approximately 7,000 paper bills a month and thought that, you know, encouraging or pushing customers into our online portal made sense um, and trying to reduce the environmental impact. Will you be taking a different strategy then to, to try and do that, even if it, you can't charge a fee? I, I think, you know, we've, it's not necessarily a different strategy. I think all along we've encouraged our customers to move to um, electronic billing. I, I think we'll continue to do that. And we'll, you know, look at different promotions and different customer engagement that we can do. But um, I think that's something we've tried to do all along. There are a number of interveners at the Energy Board, including the Northumberland Hills Hospital and the uh, Coburg Taxpayers Association. Let's start with the taxpayers group. They seem to have a lot of concerns about the survey done by Lakefront during the public consultation regarding your proposals. Can you tell us about the survey and the results that you received from that survey? Um, I think, you know, in a sense, it wasn't, I think we did a survey um, at the beginning of our customer engagement activities. Um, we were um, 
allowed to actually use Engage Coburg, the software by the town of Coburg. And so we ran a survey um, through that just to get some initial feedback from customers, um, just to help us sort of focus our customer engagement going forward. Um, I'm not sure specifically, I guess, what the concerns are about the survey per se. Um, I, I think we use the survey as, you know, one of the many tools for our customer engagement process, but not necessarily the only tool. Um, you know, we, as I mentioned, we met with their, or we met with various focus groups. So we met with some groups that uh, work with low income residential customers. And we were with, um, we met with, we had a focus group with some small commercial customers, um, as well as some of the larger industrial customers. So we did some focus groups there and some presentations and got some feedback from those customers. And then for some of the capital projects that we planned on doing over the next few years, um, we had some, um, on-site meetings and so we sent notices out to the customers that would be impacted by these capital projects and um, they had an opportunity to meet on site we had some maps out and we could show them you know why we were going to be doing these uh, capital infrastructure upgrades and how it would impact them so um again i mean i'm not sure what the the particular concern is about the survey but um as i said it, you know it's one tool that we used in our customer engagement process so how many people participated overall Oh, and I mean, I think in terms of the survey, um, I, I think we ended up reaching out to about 90 customers on the survey. I think on the focus groups in total, we had about 12 different groups that represented various customers. Um, I think on the capital components, I think we, um, I think in total, we've had about half a dozen customers come out for the, the meetings for the capital uh, projects. So 90 people out of 10,000 customers. Correct. Okay. The taxpayers group mentioned quite frequently about low income, especially seniors, they had concerns with. What sort of feedback did you get from seniors? Um, we didn't run any specific customer consultations, I think, for the senior groups um, necessarily. Um, I think in terms of the low income, like I said, we reached out to those groups um, uh, specifically and had some feedback from them and talked to them about our application. Um, you know, understandably, they're concerned you know, about rates going forward, um, as well as, you know, the $2 fee, for example, when we proposed that during the presentation, there was some hesitation, which is, um, which is why we ultimately decided to waive that $2 fee for any low income customers. Um, you know, I, I, we have the eighth lowest residential rates in the province of Ontario. So, you know, I think our rates are very reasonable. Um, you know, but having said that, you know, we, you know, meeting with these, uh, meeting with the groups that represent the low income customers, we were able to get some um, value added feedback from them during the process. I noticed when you were talking that you didn't mention institutions, and I know that Northumberland Hills Hospital was also one of the interveners. What sort of concerns did they have and what did you do you need to address when it comes to uh, an institutional client like uh, the hospital? Um, their only concern was the standby charge. That was the only purpose uh, for them intervening was the, the standby charge. Um, you know, we met with um, prior to the intervener process, obviously, but throughout the application meeting with industrial customers. And, you know, again, they had probably similar concerns to, to the majority of our customers in terms of, you know, what's the rate uh, going forward and what's the impact on reliability going forward. What, if any, takeaways does Lakefront have regarding all these public consultations for the future? Um, well, I think a few different things, you know, I, I think it reaffirms, reaffirmed for us, I think, you know, overall, we receive feedback that customers are happy with, with what we're doing. I think they're happy with, you know, the rates that we're charging in terms of where we 
um, compared to other LVCs within the province. Um, you know, I, we have the fourth lowest operating costs in the province and the eighth lowest residential rates. And I, I think, you know, when we're able to share some of those compare comparisons um, with our customers during the, the engagement process, I think they were quite happy with that. I, I think in terms of, you know, some of the feedback we got from customers, um, which, which was entirely expected was, you know, some of the outages we had last year during the summer. Um, and we, you know, communicated with the customers that, you know, we, um, we had two issues at our substations in July of 2020 and resulted in two major issues. Um, but, you know, we, we took obviously that feedback in terms of shaping our application going forward, especially um, some of the capital components and some of the work on the substations and trying to build redundancies into the system so that we can reduce the, these outage times going forward. You, you keep saying that your customers are happy. And yet when I, you mentioned the survey results, we talked about 90 out of 10,000 people. How, how are you able to say that your customers in a blanket statement are, are happy if that's the level? Have you ever thought of, you know, the process you use and reaching out in a broader way? Or how do you get to say that uh, so assuredly when, you know, you think, uh, think about those results? I, I don't know. Can you help me? Yeah, I, I think, you know, the survey and fair, you know, fair enough, it's 90 customers during the survey. But, um, you know, I think in a lot of our meetings with the focus groups, we received a lot of you know, positive feedback from the customers at that time. And I think if you look at the analysis that's in the application, we included a survey after that, after those meetings. And, and I think we got a lot of good feedback from our customers. I, I think even just, you know, during meeting with our customers during the capital process, um, again, we got a lot of good feedback. A lot of customers were happy with us reaching out to them during that process. Um, I, I think even just, you know, as a utility, we don't focus on customer engagement just during the cost of service. I think we're, we're continually doing customer engagement throughout the year. And I think even during all of that engagement, we still get positive feedback from our customers. So there are a number of other interveners as well, beside the, the two that I mentioned, the hospital and the taxpayers group. So what other aspects of the interveners' concerns uh, overall that were raised during the hearing do you feel were beneficial or even insightful? And can you list several? Um, I, you know, we received some, feed, some feedback from the interveners um, related to, you know, we had some increase in our outages related to defective equipment. Um, so I think one of the takeaways we, you know, we got back from interveners was, you know, trying to focus um, trying to focus on that, I think trying to be proactive with some of our defective equipment. I think you see it in, um, you know, some of our capital projects we're going to have going forward, trying to address that. Speaking of going forward, what happens now? Um, well, I take a bit of a break after working on this for about 15 months, but uh, <laughs> no, I, I think we've received the final decision in raid order. Um, so, you know, for us uh, here, it's, um, you know, implementing our rates into our system and doing the proper testing just, you know, to make sure everything's um, ready to go for January 1st. Adam Giddings, thank you so much for talking to me today. Oh, no problem. Thanks for having me. That was Adam Giddings from Lakefront Utilities. Up next, the team from the Coburg Taxpayers Association. Please stay tuned to consider this on Northumberland 89.7 FM, your truly local source for news. We'll be right back. Hello and welcome back. This is Consider This Northumberland and I'm your host, Robert Washburn, and you're listening to Northumberland 89.7 FM. 
If you think your electricity bill is complicated, try to understand the proposal Lakefront Utilities submitted to the Ontario Energy Board. The technical terminology plus the acronyms are enough to drive any mere mortal crazy. Yet three members from the Coburg Taxpayers Association took on the task. And it's not the first time. Here is the story of Dennis Nabiesco, Ken Strauss, and Brian Lambert. They will tell us what it's like to go into a room full of experts and come out the other end successfully holding down the proposed rate hike on your electricity bill. I'm so pleased to have with me today Ken Nabiesco, president of the Coburg Taxpayers Association, Brian Lambert, the treasurer, and Ken Strauss, a director on the board of the CTA. Gentlemen, welcome to Consider This. Thank you. Thank you. The Ontario Energy Board cut a proposed increase in hydro rates uh, by nearly half following a hearing the CTA and others were involved in. What was your group's initial reaction to this news? I'll start with you, Dennis. Uh, in terms of in terms of how it was how much it was cut by, I think it was with all of the in, interveners involved, and I'd like to thank all of those that were involved because they really helped to participate and really make make it happen. Uh, they 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 reviewed everything, they looked at it, and uh, and this is and this is where we ended up. Were you happy? Were you sad? Were you angry? No, we were quite happy with what with what we were able to achieve. Uh, it, it, it took quite a quite a bit of effort, uh, but uh, we've achieved something. So I, I think this was important. Ken, what was your reaction? I think similar to Dennis, but I'd like to add: not only was there a reduction in the proposed increase, but uh, several uncosted things. For example. Uh, a charge for printed bills, a charge for duplicate bills, et cetera, wasn't actually included in the decrease, if you follow what I'm saying. So in reality, the decrease was actually greater than that because, for example, the um, surcharge or standby charge for local generation by some of our larger users like school boards and uh, Northumberland Hills Hospital was not costed, is not part of the decrease. So what you're saying is, is that it wasn't just a price increase, there were a number of other things that happened that are beneficial to, to customers. Brian, what was your initial reaction? It was uh, uh, well done. The interveners, uh, it's embarrassing to say it, but uh, uh, the three of us were kind of the newbies in the room. Uh, the interveners from uh, VEC and uh, Energy Probe and so on are all professional interveners. They're lawyers, and this is what they do uh, as, and for their, their uh, clients. We were kind of going in expecting much the similar as, as uh, occurred in 2016 when we did this for the first time. And we achieved, the interveners collectively achieved a reduction in Lakefront's uh, rate increase ask of about 25, 28%, something of that order. This time around, the ask was reduced 
uh, I think about 35%. So that's, that's a good number. And that it, 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 uh, you know, on a, on a per household uh, uh, amount, it doesn't seem like an awful lot of money. But when you take it over the nine to 10,000 uh, customer base that uh, Lakefront has, it amounts to the better part of $300,000 per year for five years. So that's significant. That's, that sounds yeah. really significant. So Dennis, um, Brian gave us a little bit of a background there. Can you just give us a real brief uh, history as to how the Coburg Taxpayers Association became interested um, in this rate, these rate hikes and uh, your involvement, your group's involvement? Well, we, we, we saw that um, uh, we subscribed to their, uh, to their updates and, and we saw the notice that they were filing a, uh, an application to, uh, to the Ontario Energy Board. And since we had done this previously, about four or five years ago, uh, we looked at it and we said we needed to do the same thing again that we did back then. Why is this even on your radar as an organization? Why is it so important that your organization step up and get involved at this level? Well, you know, we, we, we can only pick and choose, you know, which particular issues to, to address. And this, one, this, this is one that, that affects everybody. And it it's especially affects the, the senior citizens. It affects low-income people. And, 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 and so, therefore, you know, those are the type of people that we need to help out. And, and, and I know there are... There, there will always be issues. So we can we can only pick and choose certain issues. This was one that was on our radar. This one was one that we we were successful before and we felt we could be successful again. And and also, you know, there there were some significant cost increases for for, for low-income and senior citizens, especially the printed bills. $24 a year for 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 people, that's a significant increase for those that 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 you know that get printed bills. So that's why we became involved. Brian, I know that there's a lot of research and documentation that has to go, go through. How hard was it to get the documents you needed and to get prepared to go and to be an intervener? Getting the documents is fairly easy. The uh, Lakefront posts all of the documents uh, to the Ontario Energy Board, and it's on the Ontario Energy Board's site. So it's public documentation and it's then just a matter of downloading it and wading through it. And uh, it is significant as Dennis said, and you said, uh, amounting to, I think the better part of a thousand pages. And we just kind of split it up and uh, kind of go at it. And we're not experts at all in the load analysis and how many telephone poles they'll need and all of that stuff. Uh, our expertise is more in the financial area, looking at the costing, uh, looking at the revenue lines, looking at cash flow and uh, that sort of stuff and, and looking at whatever business cases are provided. Ken, how would you characterize those community consultations in did the resulting report provide a clear picture of the needs of customers? I don't think so. Sadly, 
they use some of the same technology as this uh, town of Coburg uses called Engage Coburg. I remember the discussion of one particular engagement. They, in theory, questioned the 9,000 or so customers what they thought about a couple of issues. And unfortunately, only nine people responded. So one out of a thousand customers. And then they decided that this would constitute a direction as to how they should do things. I think that's absolutely absurd. Dennis, another area that where there was a lot of focus was on low-income customers. And you alluded to this earlier in an answer, but can you describe what you mean by this term? Um, who who are we talking about and and why was it so significant to be in there and, and try to dig in on for this particular group of people? Well, these are the people that 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 the any any price increases are going to affect them the most. So these are the people, you know, whether they're they're seniors, low income, low income, we mean by those people that that uh, uh, that have you know a, a minimum or a minimum wage. They're paying a huge huge amount of of you know of their income towards uh, towards their housing. Um, and, and this is something that you know needed to needed to be looked at, and these are the people that that we need to look after. You also asked about medium and high income, and why did you feel it was necessary, uh, Dennis, to divide these things in relationship of income? Well, well, there's 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 things like, for example, where um, they have the low income energy assistance program, which was which was increased significantly. Um, and we were successful in doing that. Um, so, uh, so you, you need to identify those people that may have difficulty paying their paying their utility bills, and this is one way of being able to do it. Um, and, and so, so yes, there are people that need that. You know, the, the, so we need to focus in, and the only way to focus in is by identifying those those people that have more difficulty paying their utility bills. Ken, can you help me understand, maybe, uh, I didn't see anything about uh, any engagement with business, local business or local industry. Um, were you able to find out anything uh, about whether those people were engaged uh, and, and what sort of results came from that? Actually, I don't know if you'd consider Northumberland Hills Hospital to be a business. Uh, I would. It's certainly a large part of our community. Um, if you read some of their submissions, they were incredibly negative about their engagement with Lakefront, saying that they had meetings, uh, Lakefront ignored the results of their meetings or misrepresented them, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, I, I think that's a significant issue. Brian? Another aspect of that in that same vein is Lakefront's tendency is always to focus on the residential users as though they're the only ones who exist. And I can't be sure of it, Ken may know, but I think there was a breakdown in one of the charts, one of the many, uh, that showed that 25, 30, maybe as high as 35% of Lakefront's revenue comes from the industrial commercial sector as opposed to the residential. Interesting. Go ahead, Ken. No, I was just gonna say absolutely correct. 
And I, I guess the feeling is it sounds better politically, better optics to worry about the residential customer and the business customers seem to have little representation. Although in this particular case, Northumberland Hills Hospital was a significant intervener in the hearings. Well, I guess this takes us to this uh, idea of having uh, independent energy generation for certain industries or even for residential customers. So people being on solar or people having a, a wind turbine or other means where they're not necessarily using the grid all the time. Um, what is the significance? Because I know there was some material in your presentation that asked a lot of questions about this kind of a system and they call it a standby where you know you may they may have to deliver energy if there's ever a blackout or if somebody suddenly has a demand for it. Um, who would be best to talk to me about why this was significant and why you were interested in, in getting further information about that? Who, who would like I guess to do I that? I can say a couple of words about it. One is if we are to fight climate change, uh, the theory is that everybody should maybe have solar panels on their rooftop. And if Lakefront were to get their desired standby charge, then uh, it would be essentially uneconomic to do so. The other issue that I had is how do you, and they gave no answers and eventually backed down, of how do you distinguish between me reducing my load because I turn off the lights or I cancel the second shift at my factory? Does that mean that I should be paying for electricity that I would never conceivably used because I have no third shift? Uh, that struck me as being grossly unfair, unenforceable, implies that they send inspectors to your site to see what you're actually doing, et cetera, et cetera. Brian, I know in previous interviews with Lakefront Utilities, it makes it clear that there is needs to upgrade infrastructure. Why is it not a mistake to lower rates now when we need these new transformers or updated equipment to ensure a steady, reliable source of energy? Aren't we just kicking our problems down the road? And isn't it gonna be more expensive down the road? One of the OEB's uh, directions in the exercise is that the utility should be maintained whole. In other words, they should be self-sufficient and they should be able to uh, not only self-sufficient, let's see, but uh, you know, that their, their, their system works, that it's reliable and that it delivers a, a high level of service. And this got it gets into the technical end of things and they have consultants and people who know how to do this stuff, but they analyze their load. They look at the growth patterns of the community. They look at the age of their equipment and the state of it and management makes, uh, puts together basically a plan and says, okay, we're going to replace so many kilometers of wire, so many transformers, so many poles, uh, we have to repair a substation and they, you know, and they put all of that together. And that's a large piece of what constitutes their cost of service. Okay. And 
the OAB's direction in all of this is to enable the utility to do that, okay? And they have guidelines then as far as, uh, um, you know, since, since 2000 when the utilities were deregulated, uh, the utilities now have the ability to be owned privately and pay dividends. And so they have built into their formulas, uh, you know, a return to investor and so on. And there are benchmarks and targets uh, to be met. And uh, Lakefront's presentations are all directed towards that. The interveners evaluate that, and this is the value of the, the uh, professional interveners, because they go through, you know, from one utility to the next, to the next, to the next. So they see them all, the good, bad, and the ugly, and have a good sense of what's working and what's not and what the utility needs, okay? So it's not a matter of cut them to the bone. It's a matter of provide them adequate resources to do a good job. Ken, you wanted to add something? Well, no, I was just going to say Lakefront proposed what they wanted to do and virtually everything that they proposed in terms of system upgrades was approved. Yeah. So I don't think the reducing the charge has any impact whatsoever on uh, future problems. And in fact, the OEB directed Lakefront to put greater emphasis on system about reliability. Um, we had extensive discussions about the number of outages and the causes of the outages. So uh, essentially Lakefront's been given a carte blanche to spend what it takes to make it work. Dennis, one of the things that I noticed in, in reading over your, your intervention was uh, the concerns about expenses related to the utility company helping out other utility companies during disasters. And I always thought, it, this was a good thing. You know, we help you, you help us. And I'm thinking back now to the blackout of 2003 when a whole bunch of uh, utility companies came here and helped us. Why were you so concerned about getting those costs and, and having those revealed and, and discussing those? Well, you, you need to have those costs. You need to be reimbursed for those costs somehow because it's a, it's a cost that will eventually get passed on to uh, to the individual utility uh, users who, who are paying the bills. So, you know, there, we look at it as, as, yes, we're going to help people out. There's no question about that. It's an emergency. We need to help them out. But on the other hand, we also need to get reimbursed somehow for those, for those costs. Dennis, where, where do we go from here? What's, what's the next steps? What, what's next for uh, the CTA? Uh, well, again, this is this is for the for the next five years. So the rate setting is for the next five years. So basically, it it leaves us as being uh, in, in sort of a sort of a quiet mode uh, till the uh, till the next uh, next filing comes up. How about for the CTA? Sorry, how about for the CTA overall? What's uh, what's next on your horizon? Well, there's always issues that, that will be cropping up. I guess the next one that's coming up is the, 
is the is the budget for for the town that's uh, that's actually going to be reviewed this afternoon. Um, so that's probably the next one. But there's always issues. There's so many issues we can't address them all. Uh, so we try to focus on individual ones whenever we can. I, I think we have to leave it up to the citizens and residents of Coburg to come forward and help us out in being able to uh, in, in being able to address the issues as they crop up. Dennis Namiesko, Ken Strauss, Brian Lambert, thank you so much for talking to me today. Thanks, Rob. Pleasure. Thank you. That was Dennis Nebiesko, Ken Strauss, and Brian Lambert. I want to thank my guests this week for talking to me, and I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in today. Please join me again next week when we will talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life and Northumberland County. So please tune in. If you would like to listen or share this or any podcast, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. There you will find past podcasts, news, and other information about life and politics in Northumberland County. Or you can go to the radio station's website at northumberland897.ca. I'm Robert Washburn. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in, and I hope over the week you will continue to consider this. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Consider This. If you have any comments or would like to suggest a story, please contact me at considerthisnorthumberland at gmail.com or you can message me on Facebook at Consider This. If you enjoyed this podcast or are looking for more news and information about Northumberland County, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. That's consider-this.ca. And don't forget to share. And again, thank you for listening and stay tuned for more from Consider This.